Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. We're back. Double cover, double cover, double cover. Mama, we made it. The network picked us up. Well, we're like established. We, we need the signs that says like clap, cheer, laugh. J-Mac here. D-Mac to the right. Welcome to Double Coverage. Mama, we made it. What's up, everybody? Jason McCordy here. Welcome to Double Coverage with the McCordy Twins, my co-host on the other side, Devin McCordy. Welcome to our show. We'll talk football, family, everything in between, and a backstage pass to our lifestyle playing in the NFL. And for you guys watching on YouTube, make sure you hit the subscribe button. You can also find us on your favorite podcast streaming sites whether it's itunes spotify whatever you're looking for you can find us there and as always we're on social media facebook twitter instagram at mccordy twins dmac welcome to the show i appreciate you and for all our guests everyone watching usually this show is filmed during the day while the kids are in school so today they are not in school um it is indigenous people day i think that is the new uh, the new holiday, what it is named. So if you hear some, ah, if you hear that, uh, do not be alarmed. I have crazy kids, high energy guys, uh, high energy kids, I should today? say. No, there was no school today. You had school down in Miami? Yeah, there was school. Uh, I don't live in Miami, but in, in uh, Southern, South Florida, there was school today. My kids were in school, got home not that long ago. So, you know, they walked through the door, their daddy's home, and they're full oh, of energy. So, uh, I don't I'm know what you guys. I don't know. I don't know what you guys are doing, but if you check, if you check right now, like I'm, I'm on my iPad calendar. Uh, it says right there. I mean, we still come on Apple. We still have Columbus Day in there. That's that's no more. It's Indigenous People Day. Um, that's a national holiday when it's in the, when it's on Apple like that in your calendar. National holiday off. No work. No school off. If you work today, get done. Well, you know. Well, thank thank you thank you for the holiday announcements, but. Uh, in other news, we had Wilder Fury Part 3, which was, I didn't get to watch the fight. We had a game yeah. on Sunday, so I told myself I'm going to go to sleep, not stay up, not trying to watch the fight. But two large human beings going at it. Fury came out on top. I heard it was a heck of a fight. Yeah, it was fun. You know, uh, in our group chat, they started talking about the fight. Uh, and I was like, well, I'll just read all y'all text messages when I wake up. Um, and it was cool, I think, just for people who enjoy boxing um, to see like that level of competition happen on the big stage. See those two go at it. Um, I think Wilder knocked down Fury twice in the fourth. Uh, they just exchanging blows, going back and forth. Um, but Fury is just, I mean, he's so far, he's the only guy that gets in the ring with Wilder, takes the haymakers, gets knocked down. But gets back up. Uh, I loved it. You know, he, uh, I think he had like a face on He did something with The Undertaker. Um, and uh, for all you older people who watched The Undertaker in wrestling growing up like we did, you knew when that music sounded and The Undertaker's eyes popped up, you knew what was about to happen. And Fury has that element to him. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what happens next in that heavyweight division. 
Uh, but great weekend for boxing. Awesome weekend for boxing. No doubt about it. Now, throughout your career in the past 11 years in New England, you've played in a lot of those kind of hype games and the big games, the Sunday night football, the Monday night, the prime time. How do you deal with like just the big games in those moments that it seems like every week, this week it was kind of Buffalo and the Chiefs where this is kind of ramped up to be the game? Yeah, I think the NFL is so interesting. I like to I like to compare it to college because here we had we had the Buffalo Bills and the Kansas City Chiefs, obviously two of the top teams in the AFC last year going at it. Obviously, the NFL makes a Sunday night football great game, only game on Sunday night. And then you have Alabama take on Texas A&M Saturday night in a huge game. And in college football, it is. That's not just a hype game. That is a big deal. When Texas A&M beats Alabama, it's a big deal because it has playoff implications. Uh, opportunity to play for a national championship, where you rank. Like, all of that stuff is such a big deal in college football. Whereas, like, we create that a little bit in the NFL, but it's just not the same. It's... it's it's like you said, it's a hype game. The fans want to see that game. Even the players and and uh, um, on other teams, you come home Sunday night, you're like, oh, the, the Chiefs and Buffalo playing? That, that's a good game to watch. So other people watch the game. But ultimately, like, Buffalo beating Kansas City Sunday night does not now crown Buffalo the heads of the AFC. Like, there's still so much football to play. Like, there's, there's other teams that might not be playing well now that'll be playing well at the end of the year. Some of these teams that might be playing well now might not be playing well at the end of the year. Football's a long season, and losing one game doesn't now knock you out of playoff implications. So I've always saw it as I remember playing in these games and Bill saying, these are hype games, like focus on the game because this week this will be the key game and these will be the two best teams in the AFC. And then next week, They'll crown somebody else to the best team in AFC. So it, it's just a roller coaster, and you just got to go along, and, but stay locked in um, on your opponent on what you need to do. And that's funny, the comparison of the NFL and college football, because I can remember being, being in college, and you go out there and you lose a game on Saturday. That feeling in the locker room after the game, like the yes. shower, everybody's in the shower and stuff, and there is not a word being spoken it is complete silence like you get on the plane and you gotta remember we were in college this was i was 05 to 09 you came out a year later in 2010 but like we weren't on a, on the on the planes with like ipads watching movies or anything it was dead silent i can remember losing to cincinnati after we beat louisville and shiano requiring every guy on the team to take out a piece of paper and a pen and right, I think it was like everything you could have done better that, that week. Something that like that, yeah. Won, that could have won the game. And it was just like, even our pregame meals, You could all you heard was forks scraping a plate. And you fast forward to you getting in the NFL and you lose a game. Not to say that people are in the locker room celebrating off a loss, but like it's a loss and we have to move on. So there still may be something that's still funny after a game. You can get on the plane and be able to laugh and talk to your friends and your teammates because life still continues to go on. And if you want to win the next week, you better get over this one and start preparing exactly. for, the, for the upcoming game. So that's the, that was a huge difference, and it takes a little while to get used to, even preparing for the game. I remember being in the locker room and with the Tennessee Titans my rookie year, and guys are dying laughing Sunday morning before the game, and we're still hours <laughs> away from kickoff and like could be talking about, like, 
their Saturday night or something happened with the kid. Like, I mean, full laughter. And it was just a, a totally different atmosphere than what you're used to kind of in the college game where everything is so serious because, like you said, everything has implications. You want to yeah. make it to the national championship game. Depending upon what school you are at, you can't afford one loss. One loss kind of derails and changes uh, your, your whole season. So uh, it, it's definitely different. You have to be ready for the kind of unexpected. And in that same realm, the unexpected – there's times throughout the NFL season where you have to be ready to move on and get ready to play at the same time. Jamie Collins goes from Detroit playing there to, oh, we want to trade you. Hey, go home until we figure this thing out. Oh, he's a member of the New England Patriots, goes out there in his first game, plays three plays and walks away with the sack, does the front flip and starts rubbing the belly. You now, know, you, you know, haven't been traded. Do you, hold on. Go do ahead. you know what we call that? We call that instant offense. Even though he's on defense, I was like, dang, you out here six man of the year, three plays, easy, come in, get a sack right away. Like, that is the definition of instant offense. Put him in the same category, Lou Will, old school James Harden on the Thunder, just instant offense. Sorry, please continue. For sure, Jamie Collins changes teams. Uh, Stephon Gilmore traded uh, to the Panthers. Uh, Smith from the Cowboys released signs with the Packers. You haven't had to experience it, but you've experienced people walking into your locker room and having to pick, whether it's the offense, the defense, the special teams, pick it up and go out there and play. Richard Sherman just did it a week ago versus you guys. Signs on Wednesday, plays in the game on Sunday. How crazy is that? Because we look at it, a lot of people look at it from the outside. Like, oh, he got traded. Okay, he's playing linebacker. He's playing linebacker. How insane is that to just get picked up and all right, go right into the game and play? Yeah, I, I think it really showcases guys' ability to, for one, learn something new, two, go into a brand new situation with people, uh, where you're living, uprooting your family, and continue to be professional and doing what needs to be done. I remember back in 2012, we trade for Aqib Tlaib, and he comes in that week, and we're going over to defense. And as we're going over to defense, I'm like, man, this, this dude's picking this stuff up. Like, he's picking it up well. And goes out there, pick six, first game, plays the Colts. Um, and I'm dying laughing because then he's on the sideline, oxygened up. And the next week in practice, we're out there. He makes an interception, and they go to take him out. And all you hear is Bill. He can't even play a whole game. Get him back in there. And just his ability not only to learn the defense, but to fit in with the group, fit in with the, the secondary, the defense, um, just to be a professional. And like you said, Jamie same way, obviously, he's coming back for a third stint um, in New England. So there's some familiar faces, but a lot of our team's different. So he doesn't, it's not like he came back and just knew everybody, even though he knew a lot of guys from just being there in 2019. Um, and even Gilly, like, I know, I know Gilly, you know Gilly. Gilly's going to be out there in Carolina learning that defense as he rehabs for the next couple of weeks. And by the time week seven comes, like, he mentally and physically, as he gets healthy, he's going to be ready to go. He's going to be locked in. He's going to know what he has to do because, like, guys are professionals. But I can't imagine um, just the impact of that of, like, being here and then just going and, like, the just the uprooting of your family and just having to move on. It, I have to imagine it's pretty tough. Yeah, and to me, even, like, it wasn't in the middle of the season, but when I got to New England – you talk about guys that have played together for a long time. So, and I had did spring training camp, learning the system, but there's so many different words and terminologies being used that it takes a while to really comprehend it and kind of 
just imprinted in your memory. And there would be times that season, my first season there, where these guys have been playing together for a while and stuff will come up and they'll be like, hey, you know what? We're going to do X, Y, and Z. This is the same thing we did in the Super Bowl two years ago. Or, hey, remember that playoff game versus Pittsburgh? We did this, that, and the third. And you're like, no, I wasn't here. So <laughs> you think about it for guys like a guy like Sherman getting to Tampa Bay. It's not the system he's coming from. So he gets there. He's learning the defense. But what about the thing that came up in the middle of training camp where they made an adjustment that now it's called this? And it may not be in the playbook because we made that adjustment on the fly in the meetings. There's different things that come up that same way. Or for a receiver, you get somewhere and the route in the playbook says this. But, hey, throughout the course of the route, we had a different quarterback. Now it's a new guy. He wants the route to be run this way. So is that written in the playbook? Or who gives you those little nuances within the playbook of how to kind of line up or run this route or fit this gap. There's small things like that, that when you're kind of a new team right in the middle, it's a lot to get acclimated to while, like you said, you're still trying to figure out where you're going to live and the whole nine. So uh, credit to those guys uh, is definitely not easy uh, making that transition uh, in the middle of the season. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. And uh, like I said, hats off to those guys, man. Um, just just having to do that. And, you know, speaking of things that come up on the hurry, um, we saw you. You were involved in a little bit of a how, – how should I put this? It wasn't like a – it wasn't a scuffle because it, it was on the Internet. But, like, a media back and forth um, as a media member uh, from – I think it's from Yacht Beat Reporters down in Miami um, quoted you on you taking a shot at Tom Brady saying, Tom Brady is human – and we're going to whoop. T- no, no, no. I'm just joking. But you quoted and took something and, and took an expert from it as Tom Brady is human. Um, and I remember you texted me that night. I was like, man, I got to respond to this. So what what do you think goes into that as we'll, we'll kind of go back and forth on this of athletes responding to the media, good, bad, or is there a time and a place like what is your take and what what was going through your mind as you decided to respond to that? Yeah, it's, 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 it's tough because it's delicate because if you respond too harsh or you respond a certain type of way, you're considered kind of the a-hole or the arrogant athlete or this, that, and the third. But for me, it was just that I did a whole kind of, you know how you do your media availability. It's a few minutes long. And I think the first question was like, what did I learn from Tom? And I give a long, drawn-out response of just his greatness, his excellence, his preparation, the things that he does on a day-to-day basis. When you get to witness greatness up front like that, it brings everybody's level. So a whole bunch of Tom questions and uh, got to like the last one, and it was just like I think at this point Miami had intercepted him the most or some, some stat that only reporters would know about. And I was just like, I mean, well, he's still human. like So there's going to be times where he makes mistakes and you got to take advantage of it. It's just... There's not going to be many times that that happens. And so for me to go on Twitter and somebody tag me or something to see it where it just says, Jason McCordy on Tom Brady, he's human. I'm just like, what? (laughs) The three or the five minutes I was up there, like there's no way you walk away from it and like that's what you took from the context of it. Because you don't expect uh, a reporter or somebody to tweet out every single line of what you said during a press conference. But as long as you say something that's along the line of the gist of what I was trying to convey or whatever, say, athlete is trying to convey, then usually guys don't have a problem with it. And I think for the most part, like I've I've been in the league for a while, I go out there and play a bad game and somebody says, like, hey, McCourty sucked today. You're right. Like, you have a job to do and you got to write it how you see it. There's no problem with that. But I think for athletes, if you're misquoted or something you said isn't the right way or, like, go ahead and say something, I think – 
how we handle that. Because some people will tell you like, oh, J-Mac was respectful. He did it the right way. There is no right or wrong way. We're not going to sit here and pretend like, hey, if a media member says this, oh, he just made a mistake. Like, those guys know what they're doing. You know what tweets are going to attract eyes or what article headline is going to attract eyes. So I'm a guy, like, that's the way I handle it. Hey, respectfully go on, tweet like, hey, could you just blah, blah, blah. But there might be some guys who handle it totally different. They want to get nose to nose. They're more confrontational. You have to be who you are. So I'm not one of those guys who say, oh, you have to handle it this way. Handle it how you want. Obviously, you can't go and fight somebody in the media because they said the wrong thing about you or misquoted you or whatever, but you got to handle it the way you see fit. And I think as we grow and we learn and we gain experience, you learn, hey, like I do have to have a relationship with these guys because we're mandated to talk to them. These guys and women don't want to, you know, don't want to separate anybody, but you can kind of handle it a way where People can both be respectful, but also let them know, like, you're not just going to write what you want about me. Make sure you get my quotes right. You say it the right way. And, and what is your take on, like, because I know there's some there's some guys that once this happens, they're like, I'm done. I'm not talking to that person. Like, they misquoted me or they made something or they said something. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm just done with that. Like, I don't, I'll talk to other media members. Um, like, what is, what is the, what is the right thing to do in that situation? Because... I mean, it's a part of our job, but I would say when, especially if you're there for a while, there's, I don't want to say there's no, there's not a friendship that's built, but there's like a relationship of people coming and talking to you about different things that you go back and forth. And like when that's kind of broken, is it okay for an athlete to be like, y'all, I'm just not talking to that media person anymore? I think so. Like if, if these occurrences happen too often, I don't think there's a problem with saying like, hey, like I just want to distance myself from this person. And for that person, they have a job to do as well. So if you're covering a team and one of the bigger figures on the team and somebody that you want to get quotes and stuff from doesn't want to talk to you, it affects their job as well. But you want both sides to treat each other with respect. Me, I don't care enough to say like, hey, I'm not going to talk to you. And this wasn't a big enough deal where that takes place. But I can understand some guys saying like, yo, I'm tired of this guy misquoting me. But I think at the same time, you got to get you got to give some leeway to reporters. Like as a player, I can't get mad because maybe I'm not playing well and this reporter's writing that I'm not playing well. And I'm like, well, he keeps saying bad stuff about me. I'm not going to talk to him. Like that to me is a little bit too far. Like he's doing, we have a job to do when we take the field. They have a job to do when they show up to talk about what's going on in the game. Fans and different people are going to follow them for their expertise and for them to give kind of put into words what they're visually looking at. So I think it's kind of twofold. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think, I think it's good for athletes to develop some type of rapport with the media of like being able to talk to them, being able to, to get a sense and, and a feel of the back and forth and not see it as just like, I'm going to go in here and do this just because I have to, which I, I understand that not everyone's comfortable being in front of a camera talking about different things. But I think the the more you develop just how you interact, the back and forth. I think it, it makes your life easier when dealing with the media. And I agree. Like Sunday, I played ter- I played terrible. One of probably one of the top five worst games that I've played since being on the Patriots. I'm not gonna get mad and be like, man, like that person's like you can't. Like it, it is what it is. And um, it's been it's funny. I think because both of us have stories of watching guys like unravel. And go back and forth and be like, oh, like I'm done with this, and get so mad that it throws you off of next week's game or your future, you know. What I mean? So like you, to me, you just have to take it with a grain of salt. And I even say that about some of our like our former like Ninko. 
Ninko always goes on, and Ninko's a like Ninko's my guy. But he's gonna say something, and then this, I'm gonna get asked about. It, and I'm like, well, he's in the media now. Like he he has to be good at his job. Like I don't hate him because he wants to be good at his job. Um, but I think like what you said and what you went through is is you gotta be very careful to play the line of not tweeting something or posting something just for people to get a reaction or to click something. Like, I think that is where we always want to have like that standard um, between the players and the media where the player has a standard they expect and the media has a standard they expect from each other. Like you said, that respect factor. And I think once both sides kind of can respect that line being drawn in the sand, um, you're able to have great relationships and fans are able to see players in a different light, see them, how they interact, see their thoughts, their passions. Um, and I think ultimately that that lets people into a side that they don't always know. Like, look how many people are so excited and love that Tom does more social media. He does different interviews. Like, people love that because they get to get a little bit in the mind of the greatest football player to probably ever play the game of football. Like, that's awesome. Yeah, and before we move on, you said something interesting. Well, you said you played one of your worst games. You felt like... Uh, since being a member of the New England Patriots. When you have a game like that, and there's only six days in between the next game, how do you get over that game quickly and ignore the noise and the the bad stuff being written, being said? How do you get over that, put that behind you, and flip the page and get ready for the next game and knowing that you're going to have to go out there and perform after coming off of a bad game? Uh, I think it's two things. I think one is just who you are as a person. Like, it's not, I always try to remind myself, like, where I'm at right now wasn't, like, in the plans. Like, no one saw me at, at 14 years old and been like, this guy's going to be in the NFL. So, like, when I had the opportunity to be out there playing, like, that's a blessing. So, like, when it doesn't go well, it comes with, it comes with the job. Like, you got to just take that on the chin. Uh, as much as we all love when it goes well and we're smiling, posting pictures on Instagram and posting here and you want to be seen like when it doesn't go well, that's also a part of the job. So like to me, that's where your character shows up. Um, and then I'll say the second part of that is just the accountability to your teammates. Like your teammates expect a certain standard from you, a certain level of play that, you know, I would say throughout training camp, throughout your years in the league, like that, that shows up and they expect that from you. So when you let them down one week and you go in that game um, and it doesn't go well, you want to respond and let your teammates know like, hey, it didn't go the way I wanted, you know, last week, but I'm going to make sure that I put my best foot forward and I'm there because you're counting on me. Um, and I think that goes across the board. And uh, obviously it gets a lot, not, I won't say a lot easier, but it gets easier as you get older and you can only hope and prepare so you don't have to do that a lot um, because that's the key to having a, a long career and being consistent um, and I know that's something that I've talked to some of the younger players about um, is being able to move on and not move on to the point of like, you're like, yeah, I know I'm moving on. Like, no, to fully move on because the other guys in the locker room, they trust you. They want you to do well. They expect you to do well. Don't get so caught up on all of the external things that you lose sight on where people expect you to perform your best and where people have your back. Um, I think that's what you really need to focus on for any young athlete or young person going through something that doesn't go well at first. Um, I think just lock in on the people that are helping you get to those different moments um, and not worry about external things. Very, very well said. And 
Um, moving back into football a little bit, uh, the Jets took on the Falcons overseas in London, and the Falcons were able to walk away with a victory. Uh, don't really care about the Jets-Falcons game, but it kind of goes into our segment of just talking about these overseas games as me as a member of the Miami Dolphins are getting ready to take on Jacksonville in London. And uh, I think it's amazing opportunity uh, for players. You're traveling out the country. Um, I went to London the year in 2017 when I was playing with the uh, Cleveland Browns. Uh, we went to London. We uh, lost to the Minnesota Vikings. And uh, just the experience of it, and I think probably as a player, the coolest part about it, and the, uh, the only part I would say I enjoyed about it was game day. And I was injured, I wasn't playing. But you get to the stadium, and I mean, probably all 32 teams are represented because you got to remember, it's not like a normal away game where we're rolling into Foxborough and everybody there is a New England Patriot fan and you see the McCourty jerseys, the Hightowers, the Max and the Slaters and all of those jerseys. You're in London. There is no home team. So you go to the game and you're going to see uh, J.J. Watt jersey, uh, Juju Smith-Schuster, any of your favorite players, Tom, obviously the Tom Brady's, Aaron Rodgers, they're just cheering and they're just happy to have football in front of them so that they can watch it live. So that aspect of it is awesome. The part of it for his players that's rough is the logistics. Yeah, and I remember being in, uh, in Cleveland and now Miami, you're going to leave on a Thursday night. Going to fly seven, eight hours in the air. Red-eye flight. Some people sleep well on planes. Some people don't sleep well on planes. So you take the Thursday night flight. You get there. It's Friday morning. You go out there. You get ready to have a Friday practice. You finish up Friday practice. Maybe you try to go somewhere and get something to eat. But it depends upon how far you're from the action. When I went in Cleveland, we were an hour away from downtown. Wow. I was tired. Took a seven-hour flight the night before. I didn't even go out. My ankle was hurt. It was swelled up on the plane, blimping around. Cleveland probably should have kept me back home. That's another story. We're not going to get into that. <laughs> then you go through your Saturday walkthrough. You're playing the game on Sunday, and then you get right back on the plane, and you fly right back to your home city. So the thing that was tough, and then at that point in Cleveland, when you played in London, I think, I don't know if it was mandatory or they just did a schedule-wise, it went into your bye week. We don't have that luxury this year. We're going to London. We're coming back. And we have another game that next week. So the logistics of it is just tough on your body. That level of travel, playing again, that, that would be the thing for me that was just like, oh, like as it's coming up, you're just like, man, I don't, I'm not looking forward to this long flight. But the fans there and the experience on game day was amazing. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. We played there in 2012. Um, and like walking into the stadium, the excitement, like these a huge stadium, um, screaming fans. Same thing when we went to Mexico City. It was the same way. Just the fans were so excited for the for the game of football to be in their country. Um, I, I loved every minute of being there. But like you said, the the part of the travel is just so tough with the distance, the time, the time difference, and. Um, trying to figure that out. And uh, luckily for me, when we went to London, we did have that bye week. So we actually played Sunday and we were supposed to be able to stay and leave Monday. Um, but there was a hurricane going, weather was bad. So we actually had a really crazy just flight back um, into um, Massachusetts uh, with everything going on. But I will say to see the game being international and to see the fans and how much they're into it, um, I think it's, it's awesome as a player to sit there and play in those games 
um, and know how much the fans really love having football in their backyard to say, um, and especially when we go there, I remember going to London and getting in the cab, uh, me and Marquise Cole and the cab drivers asking us what we do. And we're like, yeah, we play football American. And he was just dogging, not dogging us, but straight teams. Oh, no, that's cool. He's like, but here, yeah, we, we play the real football. That That's what we do here. And we were like, okay, okay, not a competition. Uh, so it, it was fun to, you know, be in that area and people love football, but also have some of their true passions being in what we call soccer. Um, it, it was just a fun time. So I enjoyed my trip to London. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And let's get into a little bit of player movements. Uh, we have some injuries on the injury front. Juju Smith-Schuster, shoulder injury, could be out for the year. Russell Wilson, finger surgery, um, out for some time, but should be back this season. And you probably all saw Saquon Barkley go down with an ankle injury after coming off uh, a knee injury. And I kind of want to not speak about Saquon's injury, but just going through injuries throughout your career. And I was a guy that was probably healthy for the majority of my career. And uh, I think it was like my seventh year or sixth year in Tennessee, ended up having to have surgery and stuff. And the next thing you know, like people are like, oh, McCourty's always injured. And I'm like, man, but I've, I've, I've been here seven years. I've missed, I've missed four games. Like how am I always injured? And I think sometimes we call guys injury prone and obviously Saquon tore his ACL this year. And if you saw it, his ankle got rolled up pretty bad and on a play where it just really wasn't anything anyone could have done. And I think sometimes we lose track of like what players go through to get ready for a season. And there's different guys that I've played with that have uh, been considered the injury prone guys and then have spent an entire off season where they go and they find who people are considering the best PT around and they're going and they're, they're drinking the water that they're supposed to, they're eating the right way, they're training every day, they're building the muscles that people are telling them they need to build up in order to keep the injuries away. And the mental aspect that all of that has on guys where you do everything you possibly can and then you go out there and you go to plant and your leg twists the wrong way or somebody steps on you or whatever it is that may happen. And the mental aspect of it, I think sometimes we forget like athletes are still human and being injured sucks. Being on IR is awful. You're totally isolated from the team. Like you're not going to be there on Sunday. So it's not like anyone's looking for your opinion or even looking for you for that matter. You walk into the building, you do your rehab and you're gone. And for guys, depending upon where you're at in life, remember when I missed 12 games one year, uh, I had a daughter, my wife was expecting our second. So for me, it was good timing. Like I, I, I found something that kind of occupied my time. I'm waking up doing my daughter's hair, taking her to uh, preschool. Then I'm hitting my rehab, then I'm back home helping my wife. But for a lot of guys, you could be younger in your career where it's just like, the only thing that you kind of can get into is trouble. So I just, I wanted to make that point of like guys getting injured, like pray for those guys, wish them well, because it's not always an easy track to get back healthy and get back on track, you know? Gerard Mayo used to say it all the time as a player. Football, NFL, 100% injury rate. If you play, you are going to get hurt at some point in time. So um, injury prone, what does that really mean? Guys that play a lot, guys that play tough positions, you're going to get injured. Um, but I, I mm -hmm. agree with you. It, and I get why people say that. When you see a guy constantly get hurt and for teams, when you talk about contracts and all that different, I, I get that part of it. But I agree with you. The mental standpoint of I think everything that we kind of see in society, I would say for athletes are always seen as these tough gladiators. Sometimes we don't realize what it means to go through an injury. It's not just the rehab part. It's everything you miss. It's the being in the locker room, being with the guy, 
like so much as your time is devoted to just rehabbing and getting healthy, sometimes you lose out on the emotional and mental parts of being on a football team and having that camaraderie, having guys that count on you, having those guys that you count on to really help you, not just as a player, but as a friend. Um, so, yeah, I think you definitely want to keep these guys in prayer and thoughts um, that they are able to rehab, get healthy, and just get back to what they see as normal. Because as we all know, over the last year and a half, we know what it means to not feel normal and be able to do normal things, how much that hurts your psyche. Um, so it's definitely, it's definitely a tough thing to be injured, uh, not just in the NFL, but in anything, any sport or anything that you do. Uh, when you can't do it, it's a tough time. Yeah, before we get into our group chat segment, uh, the Washington football team now has placed two uh, trainers on administrative leave as they continue uh, to investigate um, whatever transpired um, with their head trainer and now another trainer. Uh, very, very chaotic. It has to be tough for the team. You're now missing two trainers. And as we just talked about injuries, you know how important those <coughs> trainers are keeping guys healthy on a weekend and week out basis. And it just has to be insane to be a player there. Like, yo, there's an investigation going on. Like, dang, what they investigating? Like, what did he do? Blah, blah, blah. They're raiding in the building and raiding. So uh, insane. Uh, I wish I had the inside scoop to let you guys know and breaking news here on double coverage, but I, I don't know what's going on. I'm on the outside, just like you guys, just reading the headlines and, and trying to find out what's going on. So we'll see as it kind of all unfolds and as the news comes out. Uh, but anyway, Deb, what we got going on in group chat? Well, we're, we're going to skip right to a banger uh, and a group chat moment this week. Uh, we have a nice topic that I want to save for next week when we get a pretty cool guest who has a, a good amount of opinions when it comes to music and arts and stuff. So, um, But this week, Sage Steele uh, on a podcast with Jay Cutler um, says some pretty interesting things. Uh, I don't want. I just want to make sure I read it right. Um, and, and these are the things she says. She says it's fascinating. Obama identifies as a black person um, because his father was black, but his father was nowhere to be found while his mo white mom and grandmother raised him. And she also went on to say, for women uh, who dress a certain way in the workplace, when you dress like that, I'm not saying you deserve the gross comments. But you know what you're doing when you're putting that outfit on, too. Um, a lot of things to unpack here. Um, I would first start with what she said about women in the workplace. To me, there's there's just no room for that comment. Like, you don't ever want to allow someone to be a predator and prey on someone and then blame them, blame the victim because of somebody else's own insecurities, somebody else's arrogance, somebody else's rudeness. Like, I just think that is so crazy to even say. Um, and then I would I would wonder for her, um, you know, I think living in our country, uh, it's easy to sometimes forget things that people have gone through. But I wonder for her in her life, like when she when she chooses to identify as mixed of what other people see her as. And I, I don't really see a problem with how you want to view yourself. She views herself as mixed. Um, but I, I, I see a problem sometimes when you just shoot at Obama and shoot like she doesn't know. He might have he might have tried to identify as mixed, but got ridiculed and ripped his whole life about it. Because we know in our country, the old saying, the one drop rule of any person that had any amount of black in them, that's how they were treated. And a lot of times they weren't treated very nicely. Um, so I, 
I just was shocked a little bit. I know she said some things over the years, even while she was on ESPN. But just to see this, and I will say, even as a as a black male, to see her on a podcast with a white male and to just talk about some of these things in a way of, you know, just, I felt like not thinking about it and just saying like, hey, how can I get clicks? How can we get people to view this? That's how I feel. I feel like this was a thing of, you know, if I say these things, people will click and watch. And I'm sure that's what happened if we go check the viewership on YouTube, a lot of people watch. And I really think that's where this came from. Yeah, I hear you, man. Just to play a little bit of devil's advocate here, like her being maybe a mixed woman, and like you just said, maybe some of her experiences and growing up a certain way, and maybe one parent was there, one, but I don't, I have no idea what her story was, but maybe that kind of inspired or kind of brought through some of the, because she might have had issues with identifying who she was, and that might have maybe led her to kind of look at other mixed people and say, hey, how could you pick one over the other? Because maybe she had kind of a pouring in on both sides and she may felt like when she, she identifies as black, the white side of her family, like she's totally leaving them in the dark and she's forgetting about that side. And 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 I agree with you, Cole Harley. I'm not even going to lie. I agree with you. Um, but I, I'm, I can maybe try to empathize and maybe try to put myself on uh, her shoes and maybe see where she was coming from. The female reporter side, I don't know. I, I don't really see what side that was coming from. I don't think... We should say to female reports, hey, you have to dress this way or this, that. I mean, we just all need to be respectful of one another. But I don't know. I mean, for Obama, where's, if, I mean, if if he writes white on his senses, where is he going to go? Where, and I mean, it doesn't matter what other people think of you. Like, it matters what you believe in yourself inside. And we're all human beings at our core. And that's what really matters. But at the same time, Obama's black. Like, it's, it's just... There's no other way around it. There's nothing else to identify as. Uh, so that's the tough thing. But you try to put yourself in other people's shoes. But the shoes just aren't fitting me right now. I don't know. I don't know. What else, what else you got? Uh, wh- what is your take? We're, we're only going to hit two more group uh, chat uh, topics here. I think this one will be fairly quick. Uh, Agent Rich Paul's working on getting Ben Simmons back in with the Sixers. A lot has transpired. We talked about this last week. What has to happen? Like, like what is Rich Paul doing here that he's going to, like, make this all kind of men together? Is Embiid and Ben Simmons going to be That's back? Easy. My, That's easy. My, my guy, jo- Chris. Jo- jo- go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, that's jo- a twin be Ben Simmons. They, they need to be in a room together. And as long as they're good, the team will be good. And I think we all kind but of they're not, seen they're this. they're not going to be good. They're, they're not going to be good if they say, hey, man, my bad, my bad, we cool. They're, they're not cool. They don't want to play together. Uh, but I think when you talk about dealing with contracts and things of that nature within an organization, my second year, Chris Johnson held out. And when he showed back up, everybody was so happy to see him. So it was not... It doesn't have to be that way. To a certain extent, you realize that when I got a chance to play with Chris Johnson, my rookie year, man ran for 2,000 yards. He clearly has outplayed that contract. So when but he shows was, back up, was guys cor- are happy for him. Who was the quarterback? Uh, my rookie year, a combination of uh, Kerry Collins and Vince Young. Did they come and criticize, man, I don't want to play with Chris Johnson anyway? No, they didn't do no, that. They wanted- no, they didn't. It's a little different. I, I hear what you're saying, the contract stuff, but this is kind of now boiled over 
And so does Doc Rivers want him? You know, that was a topic at one point. Does Embiid want him as a team? Embiid said they continue to build the team around Ben Simmons. I mean, Embiid probably wants the team built around him. He said he's the reason we've lost good players like Jimmy Buckets. Like, I just think it'll be very interesting. My guy, Chris Quay, a good friend of the show, he wants Ben Simmons out. He's from South Jersey. He wants him traded. He wants something else. Uh, so it'll be interesting for no one that does. No one cares what, what the Philly fans want. You're, you're a Well, brother, the Philly right? fans are real. Have you, ever, have, you ever, have you ever been mad at one of your siblings? Yeah, you all the time. All right. And did you forgive them? Are you still brothers? Do you still get along? Yeah, we're brothers doing a show right mistakes. now. If the locker room, if the locker room's a brotherhood, they come together, they talk about it, and they move on, they move forward, and they chase a championship together. That's case closed. Who are you giving to Dan O'Brien? Keeping it awesome, moment of the week to. Dan O'Brien, keeping an awesome moment of the week, goes to Tyson Fury. And not just because he won and beat Deontay Wilder, but because he posted a video on Instagram talking about people saying that he's lucky. And I thought it was awesome because he said, why am I lucky? I'm lucky because I'm 33 years old and my whole life, while my other friends were out drinking and partying and doing other stuff, I decided to he go had dedicate. No childhood. He said he had no childhood. Or teenage years. And then he said, I decided to dedicate to training, 10 hours on hours, to running, to boxing. I dedicated all that. He said, and he used a lot of colorful language, so I'm, am I lucky? And he said, no, at the end of the day, I'm not lucky, I'm blessed. I used what, what God gave me and I grinded. And that's why he said, and that's why no one can beat me. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta yeah. appreciate that. You, you, just, you just feel have that. to appreciate you just feel it. that. If you get yeah. a chance, go to Tyson Fury's Instagram, check out that video. It's like 30 seconds. Um, I, I, th I thought it was really great uh, what he said about being blessed and taking advantage of those opportunities. For sure. And before we get out of here, we got to leave you guys with a who won and who lost the weekend. I think who lost the weekend was pretty obvious today. I won't say that. It was probably a lot of losers this weekend, but we're giving it out to Sage Steele. Her comments, ESPN is kind of backed her out a little bit. Um, so she definitely lost a week and she's going to need a bounce back performance to get back to where she was. And Deb, who, who you got winning the weekend? Who won the weekend? Obviously, Texas, Texas A&M, big win over Bama. So that's a win. But college football won the weekend. When Bama loses, everyone else wins. Bama is Bama. And we expect Bama to win. I, I was joking with Hightower. They were getting on me. My boys, Rutgers, we... We lost pretty bad to, to Michigan State, and uh, my man, my man got at us, Coach. I think I want to say like Mr. Thirty is his Instagram. I don't know exactly. He's hilarious on Instagram and TikTok and all of that. But he killed Rutgers after we lost to Michigan State. So I said to Hightower, "Did y'all win?" He said, "Probably. I don't even know when the game is, but we probably won." And that's what Bama is. They're just a factory. So when they lose college football, you win. So shout out all the college football teams. You won this weekend. Even if you won't be playing in the national championship and Alabama still will probably win the national championship, take your weekend and win. Celebrate, guys. There you go. 
and we're getting out of here. Thank you guys for tuning in to another episode of Double Coverage with the McCordy Twins. Make sure if you're watching on YouTube, you hit that subscribe button and you do the same on Apple, on Spotify. Come check us out each and every week. And as you guys know, you can find us on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at McCordy Twins. Mama, we'll we made see it. you. Thank you. We'll see you guys next week.